0: that's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The 0-2 Pittsburgh. Swing
1: man, him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. It's Wednesday, August 23rd, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you tonight by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chesko. And Chad, in spite of rumors floating around, we are going to let you work the show tonight in spite of the fact that you have a first name and a nickname. We'll get to that mess later. (laughs)
2: You know, my name has actually caused me problems over the years on uh, various occasions. However, I'm pretty sure there are no statues of me anywhere. Anyway, yes, <laughs> later for all of that nonsense.
1: Yeah, well, all right. Well, hey, on serious business, we're going to talk all things Philly sports tonight with Mike Sielski of Philly.com. We're going to talk Penn State football with freshman offensive lineman, freshman All-American offensive lineman Ryan Bates tonight as well.
2: Yeah, the college football season is right around the corner, Bill, and the Nittany Lions are back in the spotlight again the way it should be. They're ranked number six in the preseason coaches poll. A lot of excitement in Happy Valley. And uh, here's a very brief sample of my chat with Ryan Bates, a four-second cut. This is him talking about why he likes run blocking. No better
3: feeling than coming off the line hitting somebody and trying to put him in the dirt.
2: Ah, there you go. Ah, you know, I love that. I knew you would. <laughs>
3: All right,
1: well, hey, with that business taken care of, let's welcome back our special guest from Philly.com,
2: Mike Sealski. Mike, welcome.
0: Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me on.
2: Hey, Mike. Uh, we're going to talk Eagles and Phillies in just a bit with you, but we first wanted to talk to you about your terrific two-part piece last week, a front-page Sunday Inquirer story, no less, about former LaSalle basketball great Michael Brooks, who in fact died a year ago Tuesday at the age of 58. Now uh, you called him a mystery man, and having read your column, that certainly seemed to be the case.
0: Yeah, well, uh, it was funny. Last year, uh, heading into the Olympics, um, I was I tried and did my best to try to track Michael down. I'd wanted to talk to him uh, because Kyle Lowry was going to play in the Olympics for Team USA, uh, and Lowry was going to be the third uh, Philadelphia Big Five player to have been an Olympian. I kind of wanted to talk to Brooks about what it was like to be an Olympian who didn't get to participate in the Olympics. Brooks was supposed to be the captain of the 1980 U.S. team that boycotted the Moscow Games. So that turned into one story about how Michael had moved to Europe and had cut himself off from everybody related to Philadelphia. And then it turned into a second story when Michael finally called me back and I was able to get a little bit of insight from him. And then, of course, six weeks later, um, tragically, he died um, after battling – uh, a blood disorder. So um, after those things happened, I I found out that he had a son here in Philadelphia who he had never met. Um, and I by that point, I was kind of consumed by his life story about why he had stayed in Europe, why had he cut himself off from Philadelphia, why had he never really had the chance or given himself a chance to meet his son. And I spent the better part of a year kind of looking at his life and talking to his son, talking to his sister, talking to more people, and it became that series.
2: Yeah, Brooks was a great player for sure, one of the best ever at LaSalle, uh, college player of the year in 1980, and still today among the top 30 scorers in NCAA history. You touched on it in the article, but what was it that convinced him to, with one exception, I believe, stay over in Europe for the entire second half of his too short
0: life? Well, he spent a few years in the NBA and was a productive player, um, certainly for for his first three seasons in the league with the San Diego Clippers. Uh, And then he suffered a knee injury. He tore his ACL, I I believe, in his right knee. And it was the kind of injury that nowadays a player gets surgery, rehabs, and comes back from without too much problem. But back in 1984, when it occurred for Brooks, um, medicine wasn't as as advanced then as it was now. So it really threatened his career, really, ended his NBA career, and he got the opportunity to play in Europe. I think at that point he was a little disillusioned with um, the NBA as a whole, with pro basketball in the United States. He got a fresh, clean start by going to Europe and playing in France, and he adapted so well to the culture, and it kind of gave him a relative sense of anonymity um, that he could live on his own over there. Um, So he, he didn't see his younger sister, for instance, but once over the next twenty eight years. Um as I said, he never, you know, met his son in person. Um and, you know, I think I think that injury really kind of changed his outlook uh on his life and what he was looking for. Interesting.
1: Well hey Mike, before we get to uh the Phillies and Eagles and things like that, I, I had a question for you as well. In uh researching some for for this uh visit i found out that you had actually written a book i guess back in the 2009 10 uh, range about fading echoes a true story of rivalry and brotherhood from the football field to the fields of honor what how did that well, give a brief summary of the book if you would and and how did that all come about it it's very intriguing what i got to read
0: sure um thanks for bringing it up phil um yeah it's uh, the book came out in 2009 it's a It's a true story. It's it's a piece of narrative nonfiction about two former high school football players from Doylestown, Pennsylvania, in Bucks County, who were on opposite sides of a really fierce football rivalry, CB West and CB East. Um, And then to make a very long story short, both of them ended up uh, serving in Iraq. Um, One of them became an Army Ranger. The other one became a Marine. And one of them did not come home. He was killed in action over there. So the book, traces their lives from the time they're seniors in high school uh, until the time they become, become the kind of guys who would who were willing to fight and die for their country. Um, and I covered both of them in high school. I was working for the, uh, the Doylestown Intelligencer as my first job in sports writing, and I got to know those guys when they were high school seniors. Um, and then years later, I became aware of their respective stories and thought that kind of combining them would make a, would make a good book.
1: Very good, awesome. and, and it's still available on uh, the Amazon and can, all in places yeah, you, you can
0: you can get yeah, it. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon. I know the, um, the Central Bucks School District actually keeps it on its uh, recommended re- summer reading list for all high school students, I think, in 11th grade. Um, so I'm very proud of that, and uh, if you're in Doylestown or a bookstore in Bucks County, you can probably get it uh, at a bookstore there.
2: Fantastic. All right. Okay, Mike, we're getting pretty excited about the upcoming Eagles season. Year two for Carson Wentz, several new additions, including Alshon Jeffrey, Tory Smith, LeGarrette Blunt, newcomers on defense, including the just-inquired Ronald Darby. Will they be better than last year's 7-9 squad? What do you think?
0: I think they'll be better. I'm not sure how much yet. Um, and, and the reason I say that is this is a franchise, and, and this is a team that has, gone, uh, that has undergone a lot of upheaval really since the lockout in, you know, in 2010, 2011, you know, we've seen the dream team that didn't work. We've seen Chip Kelly come in and change the entire infrastructure of the organization. We've seen Chip Kelly get fired. And then the Eagles try to change all that. We've seen them, you know, make two big trades to move up and get Carson Wentz. We saw, um, you know, a number of acquisitions this past off season, some of which you mentioned, um, you know, I, I think they're more talented than they were last year. I don't think anybody would dispute that. I think the question becomes, you know, how good are the other teams in their division? Um, because that's really the most important thing. You know, last year they went two and four in the division, and that was the difference between them maybe, you know, pushing for a wild card spot and missing the playoffs altogether. And, and I think the issue of continuity is one that gets overlooked, but I think it's worth discussing. You know, they traded away Jordan Matthews. And while you get Ronald Darby, Uh, who's a promising young cornerback, and it, you know, improves a position that badly needed improving, Um, you did trade away Carson Wentz's best friend on the team, your best returning receiver, and the the wide receiver who knew the system best and knew Carson best. Um, And that's not an insignificant absence. That's not an insignificant change. Um, And while, you know, I I think that from, from a strictly kind of almost clinical perspective, you say, oh, well, you take out this guy and replace him with this guy, and, you know, the the guy you replaced him with is better, therefore the Eagles should be better, I think is has some logic to it. I do think there's kind of an intangible thing that continuity brings, and while I think they'll be better, I'm, I'm anticipating something along the lines of 8-8 eight and, eight and or 9-7, and seven, not necessarily a big jump to 10, 11, 12 wins.
1: Well, hey, Mike. Back in May, you you wrote an article, and I'll, I'll call it maybe a a, a scathing article or a lowering the boom, if you will, on Doug Peterson and the fact that uh, he's kind of in the side chair here, or maybe the backseat uh, to the to the administration of the Eagles. Do, do you still feel that way, or or what led you to
0: think that? Well, I, I do feel that way. Um, I believe you're, you're referring, Bill, to the infamous Potted ficus article, in which I, <laughs> right. refer, yes. you know, I referred to Doug. <laughs> um, I described him that way at a, at a press conference right at the time they were they were having the NFL draft. And, you know, I, I look at it like this. Um, you know, Doug does not wield the power that virtually any other NFL head coach who's not in his very first season as as a head coach has. Um, and I think it's set up that way. I think if you were to rank the important people within the Eagles organization right now, the top four don't include the head coach. You're talking about Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, Carson Wentz, and Joe Douglas, um, in some particular order, depending on how you want to arrange them. And, you know, fifth behind them might be Doug Peterson. Um, you know, from what I've been told, um, from someone within the organization, there's a situation here where if the Eagles, and in particular their offense and Wentz, don't take a major step forward this season. You know, the Dug's on a relatively short leash. And and I do think that if you look at the organization and the way it's structured and the power that Howie Roseman has um, and the way that Jeffrey Lurie has kind of operated things over time, if they don't take that significant step forward, what changes do you think are going to be made? Where do you think they're going to upgrade next? Are they going to change quarterback? No. Are they going to say, well, it must be the running backs, even though I think they're pretty weak at running back. Well, no, they'll just go out and find somebody. Like, what is the major change that you think is probably going to be made? Where do you think they can really take a step forward? I think in that situation, you have to look at Doug Peterson. And if you're Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, if, if this team goes 7-9 and nine again or, you know, goes 8-8 eight and eight but is disappointing or Wentz doesn't take the step forward that everybody thinks he ought to take and will take – you got to be asking yourself, boy, would things be different if we had a more established head coach? If we had a John Harbaugh who might come free if the Baltimore Ravens don't have a good year uh, or any number of coaches who have more experience and a better track record than Doug. So I don't think it's, I mean, I've heard that article, just, that column described as scathing before, but I think it's a reality of where Doug is right now. Um, you know, he runs the offense. He doesn't really run the defense. That's Jim, that's Jim Schwartz's domain. Um You know, he was a guy that, in a way, they kind of settled on. Um, So, you know, I I think he's in a tough spot. I think the the Eagles really need to take a step forward, improving their record. Their quarterback has to get better um, because if those things don't happen, I think the fingers are going to get pointed at a lot of different, you know, they're not going to be pointed at a lot of different places. They're going to be pointed more often than not, I think, at the head coach.
2: Mike, you will not be getting a holiday card from uh, Doug Peterson this year, I'm telling you right, right now. I, look, I have
0: not I have, I have nothing personal against Doug. I, I, he seems like a terrifically <laughs> nice guy. I think he did I think he did pretty well last season all told, to go seven and nine with, you know, some of the talent they had at particular positions on the roster. Um but I'm I'm looking at this kind of from the track record of what Jeffrey Lurie has done in the past, and I think you know, being realistic about where they could possibly upgrade. And again, they may go 10 and 6 or 11 and 5, and, and this is all moot. Um, but if they don't, and if Doug continues to, to kind of show some of the weaknesses that he showed last year, um, you know, I think, I think it's, we all have a pretty good idea of where the blame is going to fall.
2: Mike, you mentioned the running backs, and that is a concern for me right now. Uh, Blunt, you know, maybe winding down. Maybe that's why uh, Bill Belichick was willing to get rid of him at this point. Wendell Smallwood can't seem to stay healthy. They're averaging two and a half yards through the first two preseason games. Are you worried about the running backs like I am?
0: Yes, I am. Um, You know, if you look statistically, their best short yardage back, despite their signing with Garrett Blunt, over the last few years, has been Darren Sproles. Um, and if you look at the situation now, I would argue that they were in better shape last year when Ryan, whenever Ryan Matthews was healthy and able to play, which admittedly is not all that often, um, that they are in a better sh- They were in better shape last year with Matthews, with Wendell Smallwood as a rookie, with Darren Sproles a year younger than they probably are now. Um, Smallwood's is going to get a chance to to be the guy, in, in, in as much as anybody's going to be the guy in this backfield. I think it's going to be by committee, and maybe Blunt will turn it on once the regular season begins. I'm kind of puzzled by, um, you know, the way they've used him through the first two preseason games. They seem to have him running a lot of stretch plays, which is interesting for a guy who's supposed to be a big bruising, short yardage back who, you know, gets the ball and just knocks people over. Um, I'm not sure how often you want him running wide. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I do think running back is an issue, and it plays into – You know what I think is a fear of a lot of people who watch this team and follow it closely, which is that, well, if Doug Peterson, you know, ends up being kind of a clone of Andy Reid, what is the one thing? What was one of the greatest weaknesses that Andy Reid, as accomplished as he was, had as a head coach? It was that he threw the ball too damn much. And if you're if you're looking at this roster now, you know, it's it would it's very easy to envision Doug Peterson. Falling into the same kind of trap. I don't have a number one running back. Maybe look, Garrett Blunt isn't getting it done. Maybe Wendell Smallwood can't carry the load. Maybe Darren Sproles, you know, can't carry the ball twenty times a game. So I'm just going to rely on Carson Wentz. Well, that's that's not that, that didn't work in the past, and it's probably not going to work again.
1: Well, Mike, and with that said, uh, the, the wide receivers, you know, we we brought in these couple guys, Jeffries and. And Tory Smith and the Zach Ertz probably ready for a breakout year. Do you see uh, this bunch being better, where they can throw the ball a little bit more and and not have all the drops they had last year? That was that was tough to watch.
0: Yeah, I, Bill, I don't think they can. It, it would be impossible almost for them to be worse than they were on the outside <laughs> last year. Um, you know, and, and Jeffrey is a talent. If he stays healthy, I think you know he's. He's an obvious and significant upgrade on the outside kind of guy who doesn't have to be open for Wentz to go just throw the ball up to him and and trust that he'll go get it. Um, You know, Torrey Smith, I'm kind of waiting to see what he can be during the regular season, Um, you know, but there are still significant questions. Like is Nelson Aguilar going to be able to play the slot? They must feel comfortable, I guess, in, uh, having a guy like Mac Hollins, rookie from North Carolina, you know, step in and at least pick up some of the slack that Jordan Matthews he- will have left behind. But you know, my colleague at the Inquirer, Zach Berman, made a really good point, which is that you know you can presume all you want that another guy can play the same position um, that a guy you just traded played. For instance, you can presume that Nelson Aguilar can play the slot, um, you know, in place of Jordan Matthews. But what you can't necessarily presume is that he will deliver the same level of production. And Matthews, for all his faults, and he dropped, you know, some significant passes. I don't know how often he, how, or frequently he dropped them, but there were times where, you know, he, the ball hit him in the hands and, and he didn't bring it in. He was incredibly productive over the three years that he was here. Um, and as we learned from, let, you know, from the Eagles letting go guys like Deshaun Jackson and Deshaun McCoy, you don't just necessarily replace that level of production. So I think, you know, these are all guys with a lot to prove. Alshon Jeffrey wants to wants to sign a long-term contract for big money. Torrey Smith wants to show that, you know, the guy he's been the last couple of years in San Francisco isn't the guy he really is. Nelson Aguilar has to prove that he can stick in this league as a legitimate wide receiver. Uh, and then you've got question marks behind them and rookies and, you know, guys who we don't know a lot about. So will they be better? Yeah, they probably will be better. Um, But they could hardly be worse, and that doesn't mean that necessarily they're going to be dynamic or great.
2: Going to be interesting. Hey, Mike, we do need to get your take on the fills. There's some hope, I believe, with the additions of Nick Williams and especially Reese Hoskins now, but it's not translating into many more Ws. As we speak, they're on a pace for 103 losses. I foolishly predicted an 80-82 and season. I'm wrong. Why has the season gone so far south?
0: Pitching, 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 and pitching. Okay. Um, you know, there's been significant lineup deficiencies. You know, they're they're, gonna, they're reaching the, the you know, fish or cut bait stage with Markel Franco, I think. Um, that's part of the reason you see J.P. Crawford getting some time at third base in the minor leagues. But the bottom line is that they're pitching, you know, aside from Aaron Nola most of the season, has been just awful. Um, Vince Velasquez, Jared Ikoff um, have not developed the way they thought um, or hoped they would. You know, the veteran signees um, didn't didn't perform in the way that they hoped. You know, Jeremy Hellickson wasn't as, even as reliable this season as he was last season. Clay Buchholz didn't work out, obviously. Um, so, you know, and the bullpen has been a disaster at times too, most of the season. So, you know, while it's promising to see what guys like Hoskins and Williams have done in the lineup, you know, the, the irony of this is that they went ahead and tried to hoard as much young pitching as they could, and precious little of it has actually performed up to expectations, let alone beyond them. You know, think of a guy like Jake Thompson who, you know, they got in the Cole Hamels deal. There was real promise for that kid, and he just has not gotten it done. So, you know, they're going to have to find a way to, to rebuild their rotation, rebuild their bullpen, because right now there isn't much there that you can point to and say, well, at least that guy's worth sticking with. I think Aaron Nola qualifies. Beyond that, I'm not sure.
2: Mike, I wrote about that exact same thing today for our website. Other than Nola, you know, it's been a real disappointment. I was really excited about Ikoff and Jake Thompson, too, when they got him in the Hamels deal. And, you know, Ikoff looked pretty good last year in the second half, but this year, what, three and seven, and Thompson's been a disaster at AAA. a a couple of starts with the Phils, the big club. Um, do you still have faith in any of these guys outside of NOLA?
0: You know, I, I like Zach Eflin, but he can't stay healthy. Um, and, and what puzzles me, Chet, about um, the two guys you mentioned, Thompson and Icop, is that with the exception sometimes of Icop's curveball, they don't have explosive <laughs> stuff. And their stuff seems to have regressed, whether it's health, whether it's I don't know what. Um, Thompson's fastball tops out at about 90, and it's flat, and it's in the middle of the plate a lot. Um, you know, And Eikhoff uh, pitched a couple months ago, I guess it was, against the Padres on a Sunday, and it was his first start off the DL, and he threw something like five or six shutout innings, and got the, it was his first win of the season. But if you watched him in that game, he was throwing 87-mile-an-hour fastballs. Um, they don't have, and, and I completely understand that Vince Velasquez was supposed to be the stuff guy in the rotation. Um, you know, the guy who you didn't want to – if you were the opposing hitter, you didn't want to face because there was no comfortable 0 for 4 against a guy like that. Well, he hasn't been that guy either. You know, he throws harder, but, you know, batters seem to be just as comfortable against him as they've been against icon or Thompson. So, you know, this is a major problem that they've got to solve. They've got to figure out how to either acquire or develop more pitching. Maybe – the kid 6-0 Sanchez down in the the low minors who set the world on fire down there, you know, maybe they need to kind of get him on a, on a fast track to the majors. Um, You know, it's not next season, the season after that, Um, but they need help in the rotation, you know, and they need it fast.
1: Well, Mike, I, I guess the thing that bothers me about that whole deal is, you know, how do you pull off all these trades and miss on every single one of these guys? And how how does that – how much of this relates to Bob McClure and what's going on, you know, with the pitching coach and all that? I just find trouble with the fact that you, you brought in, I don't know what the number is, seven or eight pitchers through various trades and none of them are producing. To me, well, the common factor has to be the coach.
0: Well, it may be – you know, I'm not suggesting that Bob McClure is the greatest pitching coach in the history of pitching or coaches. But I do think the one thing you have to take into consideration, Bill, is how much of an empty husk their farm system was for 10 years. You know, while while everybody was rightly celebrating the five straight division championships and the two trips to the World Series and the 2008 World Championship and all the great things that Utley and Howard and Rollins and Hamels and all those guys were doing, their farm system was in complete disrepair to the point where, you know, what Matt Clontak and Andy McPhail have kind of been charged with doing, and even Ruben Amaro toward the end of his tenure, is replenishing a system that was completely empty. And that takes a long time. And I think part of what you're seeing is, you know, whatever prospects they might have, they're giving them a shot. Because they're really, you know, it it takes a long time to get a farm system back to where it's, It's actually functioning and actually, you know, in a position to help the major league club by producing, you know, major league talent. For every one guy, for every Aaron Nola who comes up and looks pretty good and seems like he has a future either as an ace or maybe a number two or three starter, you might burn through four or five guys who you think have that potential or might have that potential and don't work out. Well, they didn't even have that kind of stockpile of prospects in their system, you know, during the – 2000s, I guess you call it, you know, basically from from 05 through 2011 or 12. Um, you know, there have been, I think, I read I read this, there have been only two players that the Phillies have drafted since 2012 who have played in the majors for them, and that's Aaron Nola wow. and Andrew Knapp. That's incredible that they, yeah, that they have missed on so many talent evaluation over that time. So, yeah, well, I think, you know, maybe Bob McClure is part of the problem. Maybe he's not. I think... The, the the question you're dealing with goes a lot deeper interesting
1: way back you mentioned uh makel franco uh in earlier um you know he's still only 24 years old he looks just horrendous no no doubt about it um can you really cut bait with a guy that just last year you were looking at thinking this is who you're going to build your program around and well,
0: uh, yeah where that's do you go a, with that's that a, that's a really good question um you know, I'm, I'm always a bit hesitant um, to, to, cut bait, you know, to cut loose such a young player, if only because there are stories throughout baseball about guys who make a, what would seem a minor adjustment in their swing or their approach, and all of a sudden everything clicks. You know, you think of a guy like Jose Bautista, who bounced around from organization to organization um, around the majors, gets with the Toronto Blue Jays, gets with the right-hitting coach, changes his timing and his stride and his swing, and all of a sudden he becomes one of the five most feared power hitters in Major League Baseball. Um, You know, those stories exist, and that would be the one thing that would give me pause with Franco. But if you look at his rankings relative to other third basemen in Major League Baseball, it's not good at all. He's near the bottom of virtually everything slugging percentage, on base percentage, even fielding percentage. The reason that you, you know, well, he played, at least he plays a good third base, not relative to other third basemen he does. You know, it's the same thing with respect to Tommy Joseph. While, you know, you, you look at Tommy Joseph and you say, well, he's going to hit 20 to 25 home runs and, you know, hit maybe hit 250 or 260 and he's young, he's only 26. Do you want to give up on him? Well, relative to other players at his position, he is. A, an average to below average player when it comes to run production. So, you know, that increases the likelihood, never mind the fact he he's six home runs already, that you would take a chance on a guy like Reese Hoskins. So um, while I, I hear what you're saying about being hesitant to give up on a guy like Franco, at some point you have to take the chance that this is just who the guy is. Um, and, you know, whether that's after next season when Manny Machado becomes a free agent. Whether it's, you know, somebody in the system who emerges or somebody changes a position, I don't know. But it it looks more and more every day like Michael Franco is not the long-term answer at third base.
2: Hey, Mike, uh, we're just about out of our time with you. But uh, when I made my initial pitch to you last week to join us again this week on the show, I mentioned the topics as Eagles, Phillies, Michael Brooks, and your water skiing exploits. So I'm a man of my word. (laughs) You had a little vacation recently, and you did, in fact, do some water skiing. So how'd that go? Uh,
0: You are incorrect, Chet. I did not, in fact, do any water skiing. I put on the water skis. I (laughs) went in the water. I I held the the, the rope, um, but I did not exactly I saw that picture. Yeah, (laughs) I looked like I was wearing a bathing cap. Uh, My hair was was all matted on my head. Yeah, my family... Yeah, I uh, love the comments. Yeah, we have family friends who have a a house in, um, in New Hampshire on Lake Winnipesaukee. So we went up there for the first time and Yes, for the first time I tried water skiing, and it was a bloodbath. Um, I tried three times, and um, I've only ever tried actually, you know, um, snow skiing once back in 2008, I think it was. And um, I ended up, I'd never done it before, and I ended up looking like a turtle that had been flipped onto its shell. And I couldn't, I couldn't get to the, the lodge and, and the bar as, you know, any faster. So uh, uh, but I enjoyed myself, I and I'm willing to give water skiing another try. So there fantastic. You go. Well, hey Mike, we have run out
1: of time. We certainly appreciate you stopping by. And before you before you go, can you run through uh how listeners can find you and read you and listen to all you've got going on?
0: Sure. Um well, you can find me on Philly.com. Um you know, three or four times a week I write a column, maybe post a blog. Um I do a podcast myself. It's called Not Another Philly Sport, Sports Talk Show. I do it with uh my colleague um at Philly.com and the Inquirer and Daily News, David Murphy. And um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Mike Sealski, M I K E S I E L S K I. And thanks for reading.
1: All right, Mike. Well, Thank we you, Mike.
0: appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much, guys. Enjoy it. Thanks.
2: Joined now by Chris Gaskill, the bar manager of the Irish Rover Station House. How's it going, Chris?
0: Great Chet, thanks for having
2: me. Hey, you are an Irish bar, but you're going German the end of September, I understand. What's it all about?
3: Yes, it's our third annual Oktoberfest here at the Irish Rover. September thirtieth is a Saturday. All day long we transform our beautiful patio into a beer garden featuring authentic German food and beer. We do an amazing sign hoisting competition with tons of stuff to give away. It's so much fun.
2: I will get my later hosen ready. <laughs>
3: Please
2: do. It all happens at the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at Irish Rover Station Hey,
0: Chad,
1: college football's getting ready to kick off the season this Saturday with five games scheduled. As you mentioned earlier, Penn State is back in the national spotlight with a number six preseason ranking along with a top Heisman Trophy candidate in Saquon Barkley. You had a chance to visit with Penn State freshman All-American offensive lineman Ryan Bates to talk to the Lions. How was that?
2: Oh, yeah, man. We should note that Penn State is not on this weekend's schedule. They'll open against those mighty Akron Zips at Beaver Stadium on September 2nd. Yeah, as for the interview, it took some doing. I love my alma mater, but they're very protective of their players in terms of media interviews. But we did finally get it done. And, Bill, unless I'm forgetting someone, we haven't had an active player on our show in our three and a third years of doing the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable. Well, that changes right now. And big number 52, well, he can't wait to get the season underway, as you'll hear in our chat. Very happy to be joined here on Philly Press Box Radio by Penn State offensive lineman Ryan Bates. Ryan, welcome. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Pretty good. Hey, I met you in the summer of 2015, shortly after you had graduated from Archbishop Wood, and you told me how excited you were to be heading to Happy Valley. And, boy, has that worked out well for you and the Lions.
3: Oh, yeah. You know, we had a good season last year. We're real excited for this upcoming season.
2: Now, you were red shirted as a freshman, but then you started all 14 games last year, playing both offensive guard and then tackle. You are going to stay at left tackle this year?
3: Yep, that is correct. And that's it!
2: quite a season for the team as a whole and for you individually as well Ryan you were named a freshman all american by both USA today and the football writers of america that's got to feel pretty good i know you're a team guy but it's nice to be recognized for your individual play as well
3: oh absolutely you know telling me all big freshman big 10 freshman all american it's, it's an honor and you know i'm really I'm excited for this season and, and I'm, I'm happy about that
2: yeah and i saw black shoe diaries named you as their choice for breakout player this year so good luck with that now you guys started off kind of slowly last year, Ryan. You were two and two before going on that nine game winning streak.
1: Take it up it's blocked. on the turn picked up by Haley. Haley in the 50.
2: I guess that dramatic win over Ohio State was a key turning point.
3: Oh, absolutely. Beginning of the season we had some injuries, a linebacker on defense and on offense and it took a couple games to get going, but once we got going, we were rolling.
2: Now, I haven't been back to Beaver Stadium since 1994. Shame on me for that. What does it feel like to play in front of 105 or 110,000 wild fans?
3: It's thrilling, you know, having all those people chant Penn State and you know, they're cheering for you, especially, you know, we have the stripe-outs and the white-outs. And during the night game, we have the white It's usually versus Michigan Ohio State. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's, a, it's a surreal.
2: I know you lost the game on January 2nd, that crazy back-and-forth 52-49 game against USC, but what are your memories of playing in the Rose Bowl?
3: Um, it was cool. Um, it was my first time in California. It was exciting, you know, playing in that atmosphere, playing a Pac-12 team. And, you know, they had a lot of good players on the team, and it was, it was a real challenge.
2: All right. Let's turn our attention to this season now. Lots of high expectations, of course. Preseason polls have been, the Nittany Lions ranked number six or number eight, depending which poll you're looking at. The strong offensive line, of course, one of the factors. You feeling pretty good about the line?
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, we have a lot of confidence in our ability.
2: Do you have everybody back from last year on the line?
3: Uh, we have everybody back except for Brian Guy, who was our starting center last year.
2: All right. And of course, you lost wide receiver Chris Godwin. Who's going to be the go-to guy there? Is it going to be Deshaun Hamilton?
3: Uh, yeah, we got Deshaun Hamilton, we have DeAndre Tompkins, and we have Juwan Johnson, you know, all great threats on the outside at receiver.
2: Hey, for you at left tackle, what do you like better, run blocking or pass blocking?
3: I like run blocking, honestly. There's no better feeling than, you know, coming off the line hitting somebody and trying to put them in the dirt.
2: I hear you. Hey, you've got some high-profile teammates in quarterback Trace McSorley and running back Saquon Barkley, both of them Heisman candidates. What do you expect from those guys this season?
3: Um, They're going to have a breakout season this year. Um, I can feel it. Um, You know, they're looking real good right now in the weight room and on the field, and this upcoming season is going to be an exciting one.
2: Trace McSorley, of course, threw for 3,600 yards last year, ran for another 365, I believe. Barkley ran for nearly 1,500 yards, 18 touchdowns. I remember you had that nice block for him on that long touchdown run in the Rose Bowl. How good is Saquon Barkley?
3: <laughs> There's not much I can say that you guys don't know already. He's unreal athlete, unreal football player, and the best part about him is he's a, he's a great guy. You can never tell that he's his big superstar. He's a... You know, it's just like a regular person.
2: Your coach is going to be sticking around for a while. He just got that new contract extension. Tell me what it's like playing for Coach Franklin.
3: I love Coach Franklin. He emphasizes family a lot, which I like a lot because we're all all one giant family, all 120 of us, you know, including the staff. If we're not one tight knit group, then we're all fall apart. I I like him a lot.
2: Now, Ryan, as noted, uh, you're ranked in the top 10 and all the preseason polls are ready. With those more lofty expectations, does that bring more pressure?
3: Um,. Not really. You know, all that doesn't really mean anything to me. You know, all the preseason watch lists and all that, it doesn't really mean a lot to me personally. And I think I can speak on the team as well. It doesn't mean a whole lot to us, you know, because we know know, we can compete with anybody in the country, and that's exactly what we're going to do this season.
2: I'm guessing you've looked at the schedule. You know you have Ohio State at the end of October, but I'm guessing also that Coach Franklin doesn't want you to look ahead. You want to focus one game at a time, right?
3: Oh, yeah. Akron, 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 Akron.
2: There you go. Game one. Um, what else can we expect from that high-powered offense this year?
3: Well, touchdowns. You know, we're going to get in the end zone a lot. I can tell you that much.
2: I hope you're right. Ryan Bates, best of luck this season. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk with me here on Philly Press Box
0: Radio.
3: No problem. Thank you very much for having me.
2: Are you there, Bill? Bill, have I we lost here. you. Can
1: hear you right now. Oh, there you I'm go. back. I I had myself muted. Hey, you know, uh-huh. typical Penn State guy, offensive lineman, it's all about the team and uh well spoken and you know the the one thing you started to mention about the schedule or you mentioned briefly about that Ohio State game, but the uh the schedule gods were not good to Penn State, I can tell you. And and here's why. October 23rd, Michigan comes to Happy Valley. The next Saturday, they're at Penn State or at Ohio State, and the next Saturday, they're at Michigan State. So they've got a three-week run there, uh, October 21st through November 4th, that's going to make or break this season.
2: Yeah, that's a tough stretch right there. Now, hopefully you're going to go into that stretch uh, 5 or 6-0, and I guess. Yeah, they play uh, Northwestern on October 7th. So that'll be game six. The good news is they do have a week off, October 14th. That's an off week. So they'll you know, have a little chance to refresh and re-energize for the, the games against Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State, which you just mentioned. And, boy, I mean, you've got to take it one game at a time, just like the coach and Ryan said. But a lot of people are going to be looking ahead to those Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State games, because, well, especially Ohio State after what happened last year. Yep,
1: and Pitt, and Pitt and Nebraska at home, so that that's helpful uh, along the way. The ones at the top of the schedule, the ones at the bottom of the schedule, but uh, being at home is certainly good.
2: Yeah, a little revenge factor for Penn State against Pitt uh, after you know last year they got they had the slow start and lost that game. Uh, Pitt will be Week Two, September ninth at Beaver Stadium. They open with three straight games in Happy Valley, Akron, Pitt, and Georgia State. So uh, hopefully a three and O start for the Knits.
1: Absolutely. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun team, and uh, James Franklin has it going on up there, and he's uh, he's got a great team right now, and he's having a great recruiting class from all the experts as well. So uh, things are high hopes in Happy Valley.
2: Yeah, I saw they uh, nabbed a quarterback and a couple other good uh, players for future years, so hopefully that'll work out. Franklin got the new contract extension and, you know, Ryan did a little thing that Franklin does when he said, Akron, Akron, Akron. I saw a yeah. piece with James Franklin. Somebody asked him. He said Akron about eight times. So, yeah, one <laughs> game at a time is his approach for sure.
1: Yep, and you sure don't want to overlook that first one or or it messes up your whole season, especially when oh, you yeah. have Pitt in week two and it would be easy to look past Akron to Pit, and you uh, certainly can't do that.
2: Nope.
1: Well, hey, Chet, We're not going to talk politics on this show tonight or any other night for that matter, but I wanted to get your opinion on this player protest thing with a bit of a different spin. All right. I had lunch yesterday with three guys. I was way down in South Florida when this topic came up, and the first guy said, I stopped watching the NFL before last season when all this mess started. The other two said, I'm done with it now. I'll watch my football on Saturdays. My question for you, without all the gory political stuff, do you think the NFL players most, then the owners and the commissioners, are taking the fans for granted that they're going to be there anyway?
2: Yeah, I think to an extent they are. We know ratings were down a bit last year, and some people did cite the whole, you know, Kaepernick anthem stuff. Um, I'm sure that is a part of it. But, you know, the NFL knows that. 90% 90% of their audience is going to always be there. I don't think there's really anything that can happen that's going to drive away a majority of the people. So I think the NFL and even some of the players are banking on that, that the ratings might go down a smidge, but they're never going to you know disappear. People aren't going to abandon NFL football. It's just too good a product. So, yeah, I think there is some of that. And, you know, as for me personally – I'm not crazy about the whole protesting stuff, but it doesn't bother me that much. And it's certainly not going to make me turn off the TV and not watch a game or take an entire season off because that's just not me.
1: Well, and, you know, I tell you, we, we had this we, – we furthered the conversation a little more and said, you know, if you, if you had to give up Saturdays or Sundays of your football week, which one would you give up? And to the man, every one of them said they'd give up their Sundays. And really? I was down basically in in Dolphin country, you know, the Miami Dolphin guys that I was with. Um, but every one of them said that they would give up their Sundays and just watch their football on Saturdays because uh, the NFL product. Oh, the other thing about that was that they said they find them watching the Dolphins games and no other games. And you remember, it wasn't hmm. long ago, it was all can't miss TV. If an NFL game was on, the TV was on. And I think more and more people may be rooting for their home team, but they're not bothering with anything else.
2: Yeah, I could see some of that happening for sure. Uh, I'll still watch, you know, every Eagles game that I can possibly get to. Um, And then I I will definitely check out some of the other games. If the Eagles have a 1 o'clock game, I'll watch at least parts of, you know, some of the 4 o'clock games. I might not sit there for another three and a half hours and watch an entire game from beginning to end, but I'll certainly keep tabs on what's going on and check in from time to time. And, you know, same with the Sunday night and Monday night games. I'm not going to watch each of those from start to finish unless the Eagles are playing, but I will definitely – check it out for a little bit, you know, see how the game's going, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I could see, you know, some people maybe taking that approach, just watching their own team and avoiding some of the others. I, I could understand that.
1: Yep. Well, I think, you know, we'll have to make a note of this. When uh, when Fred's back with us, and, and we'll have to ask Jimmy Wilson maybe, what some of these younger guys that uh, that listen to us and talk to us and all that, and uh, and kind of get their opinion from the younger crowd, you know, I think a lot of the guys that, uh, that I've seen that are really upset about this whole thing are older guys or military guys, um, older like us, Chet, uh, or, or military-type yeah. guys who feel like it's a total disrespect to the flag. And I wonder if the younger guys have that same feeling, or younger fans, I should say, not necessarily guys, if the younger fans feel the same way, or if they don't care, we just want to go watch football.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't know. Something something to keep an eye on this season, though, that's for sure. The other thing to keep an eye on in years ahead, Bill, is the uh, collective bargaining agreement. Uh, I think the current one expires in like 2020. And from what everybody is saying, there is going to be a dispute, uh, uh, probably a a strike in 2020 or 2021 whenever this one expires because the two sides are really disagreeing on a lot of things. And uh, I will not be surprised if we're going to go a year or two without football.
1: Well, I tell you what, I think that would that would be the uh the biggest mistake they ever did. You know, I think baseball from that time, what how many years yeah. ago was that? Is still recovering.
2: Yeah, that was 90, long, 95, 94, fans. 95, right?
1: Yeah, yep. I was going to say that was 20 years ago and they, you know, they they still haven't
2: recovered in some ways. Yeah, some people never went back.
1: Yep. Well, I thought that was an interesting, uh, just because it came up as a lunch uh, topic the other day. I just thought I would share that, kind of get your opinion because it's, uh, you know, whether they're right or wrong or, or whatever doesn't matter. But I, I think maybe, Chet, what you need to do, you, you're you're a rock guy. Maybe you wear your Willie Nile shirt to work for the first 15 minutes, and then change into your work clothes and see how that goes.
2: <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I'll think about that. You don't think it would work out too well at your workplace? Probably not. No. Probably not. I'm well, not hey, gonna... Chet.
1: Different topic, away from Philly sports, but you're an events guy. And this Saturday there is an event: Floyd Mayweather, forty-nine and zero, versus Conor McGregor, zero and zero, with zero professional boxing boxing experience. They're going to square off in a boxing ring. Reportedly, they're expecting over $450 million in pay-per-view sales. The asking price for a title sponsor spot is $10 million. Will you be buying this event or going to watch it? Who's going to win, or do you care?
2: (laughs) All right. First of all, I will not be paying any big bucks for it. I can tell you that. But if any of my friends are buying it and want to invite me over Saturday night, I may be available and willing to come over. Heck, I'll even bring a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos or something. Why not? But, okay, the fight, it's kind of interesting. I know Mayweather is the heavy favorite, and I'm not an MMA guy, but I know McGregor does have a lot of fans, and he's certainly talented. I just don't know that he's got much of a chance if he's not able to do any of the kicking or those other MMA-type moves in this bout, so... I got to think Mayweather will win he is the heavy favorite like I said I think he's uh, like minus 475 which if I understand it means you got to bet 475 to win 100 whereas McGregor is um, plus 375 so you win a you win 375 if you bet 100 and McGregor does win Um, I'm going to I'm going to say Mayweather does win the fight What, what do you think?
1: Well, I I am not an MMA guy either. Although I do know who McGregor is. I've seen him in action a little bit. But uh, I don't see how he has a chance. And to take it one step further, I think this is a fleecing of America right now. They're, gonna, yeah. they're getting money. I saw one number that said, and it talked about all the gambling and everything that's going to go into this thing. million is what they expect will be, whether it's concessions and gambling and their pay and pay-per-view and all that. $606 million is going to change hands. To, To watch what? I don't get it.
2: Yeah, and if it goes, you know, two rounds, they're going to feel cheated. But, hey, you know. You never know what's going to happen in a bout, but if anything is going to happen, I think that would be the most logical outcome, a quick end, and Mayweather the winner.
1: Oh, absolutely. And then, what do you, then, well, what do you do? You get mad and you say, why they spend that money, but you still spend it? Yep. Uh, yeah. Just, just no the refund. fact, I mean, it's fantastic marketing by whoever to put these two guys together, and, and uh, they're both going to come out with handsome paydays. They just said about uh, five years ago, that um, uh, McGregor was on an undercard. I mean, he he was a he wasn't even a a, a championship type fighter, and now he's got the biggest payday ever come along right now.
2: Yeah, he's uh, apparently a smart guy <laughs> based on that.
1: Somebody is. Somebody is. Yeah. Well,
2: it'll be interesting yep. to
1: see. But hey, Chet, let's move on. We have another topic, since we're beating around different sports things. We're all finished up with a good portion of that for now. Let's hear the real scoop on that Kate Beckinsale. When is she scheduled for (laughs) Philly Press Box Radio? That's what I want to know.
2: Oh, man. Well, for those who don't know why we're talking about the lovely Kate Beckinsale, she was at Monster ManiaCon, the convention that I attend every six months or so down in Cherry Hill. She was there last weekend in Cherry Hill. And it was pretty awesome. I did pay for a photo op with her. And as we were getting in place at the photo op, Kate whispered that I looked like one of the more normal people at the convention, which I took as a compliment. And then I somehow happened to ride the elevator with her later on. She remembered me and asked me to come into her room for a spot of tea. It was right then that I woke up and didn't get to see how the dream ended. But uh, use your imagination. I sure did. Now, okay, the real story. (laughs) The real story. There were a couple of hundred people who paid to do the photo op with Kate Beckinsale, uh, and the convention organizers and photographers were real pros. It was like an assembly line, everyone getting a picture with the lovely Kate. And by the way, I'm mandating now that the adjective lovely always be used with the name Kate Beckinsale. Everyone getting a picture was moved from one hallway to another and then into a big waiting room, and we were funneled into the room where the photos were being taken, and they were doing three to four pictures per minute. I am not kidding. You would stand next to the lovely Kate, say a very quick hi, the photographer snapped the photo, and you're gone, and someone else is taking your place. Boom, 15 to 18 seconds tops. But I will say this. She's just as beautiful up close, and she smelled great too. And I did bring home an awesome picture of the lovely Kate and me.
1: And did you get that <laughs> signed?
2: No, that would have been extra. Him? I would have to go back and get it signed. No, yeah, that, it was it was another hefty fee if you wanted anything signed. So you would have had to do you know two stints. You would have had to do the photo, and you would have to go back the next day to get the autograph because she was done for the night after the photo ops. So yeah, I'm I'm not quite that wealthy. So, but let me mm. tell you this: I love Kate's. British accent as you'll hear in this clip um, from her appearance on Jimmy Kimmel's show last week no matter what she is saying it sounds sexy thanks to that accent. my friend's husband's dad is a judge in England and he had to make a law about whether or not it was legal to nail your own testicles to a picnic table <laughs> it was a long debate and it turned out it is illegal it's illegal yes because of the inconvenience to other people <laughs>
1: there you go <laughs> There you go. I just That's love classic, listening to That's classic Billy press box right there.
2: And she oh, does have a beautiful. great sense of humor. Honest to God, I've seen her on several talk shows. She's always very, very funny, very, very, you know, witty, great sense of humor. The funny thing is I've actually seen only about four of her movies over the years. I haven't seen any of the Underworld flicks. She's done three or four of those. I didn't see Pearl Harbor or The Aviator. The only films of hers I've seen, I believe, are Laurel Canyon, Serendipity, Vacancy, and everybody's fine. That's it. But I still watch her every time she's on a talk show, just because she's beautiful and funny. So there you go, the Kate l- Beckinsale, the lovely the Kate Beckinsale.
1: Kate. There you go. So she's in so forty-four, in about uh, in, in about another two or three weeks, we've managed to see J Lo and Kate Beckinsale. Good for us.
2: Yeah, there you go. Kate's forty-four and looks fantastic. And by the way, she got divorced last year, so she is available, I believe. Well, there you go.
1: All right. Well, good. That's a good story. Good dream, too. I hope you can continue that somewhere along the line.
2: (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) All
1: right. Hey, let's again thank each and every one of you that visits our website, phillypressboxradio.com. We're fast approaching our 20,000 visitors to our relatively new website, still only less than 11 months old. We continue to keep it updated with articles from the local papers, a few to be right, including a recent article celebrating Wilt Chamberlain's birthday from another Philly hoops legend, Andre McCarter, as well as Chet's take on the Philly pitching woes that we talked about earlier. You can listen to all of our shows, also to vimeos from all our show's guests, and a list of websites of our guests. And check out all of our sponsors, Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's likeyourage.com just go to our website, BillyPressBoxRadio dot com, and click on each of their displays to transfer to their websites.
2: Yeah, make it a habit every day. It is a pretty darn good website, I must say.
1: Yes, it is, and we do. I think we do a good job keeping it up. And uh, hey, we even have Army Navy on there today that they've renewed the contract to continue playing right in the city of Brotherly Love. And Mr. Chesko, be sure you get that done.
2: Okay. And, by the way, you great piece by Andre, it. as you mentioned. That piece by uh, Andre on Wilt Chamberlain, very long, yes. but I read the whole thing because I was a big fan of Wilt. Very nicely done.
1: And, and obviously, Andre is a big fan of Wilt's, too, both going to Overbrook. And uh, yep. and you could tell that was written from the heart from Mr. Andre McCarter.
2: Absolutely. You
1: know it. All right. Well, hey, Chet, last week uh, you were up in the air with guests but came up with two great ones in Mike Sielski and Ryan Bates, so surprise surprised oh. me who is coming to Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday night, and tell me if it's the lovely Kate Beckett sale.
2: (laughs) Yeah, in our dreams, no. You will like this one, though, Bill. We talked a little Penn State football this week, courtesy offensive tackle Ryan Bates, but with the season opener coming up a week from Saturday – we're going to talk a lot of Nittany Lions football next week. That is because we're going to be joined live by the radio voice of Penn State football since 2000, Steve Jones. What a great job he and Jack Ham do calling the games. Steve Jones with us here next week.
1: Wow. Wow. You've gone, you've gone over the top, Jet. Steve
2: is great. He is. And I never told you this. I never really thought about it. But Steve and I went to school together at Penn State in the late 70s. Uh, He graduated the year after me, and then we worked together at uh, the flagship station of Penn State football back then, WMAJ, 1450 AM is what it was when I was there. And, uh, yeah, we worked together for about two years out in State College, so there you go. I I totally forgot about that until uh, last year, then I never got a hold of him last year to get on the show. I said, this year, I'm getting this guy on our show, and messaged him. He said, sure, no problem.
1: Uh, He'll be great. He'll be great. Yep. That's awesome. All right. Well hey, Chet, uh, we're getting close to the top of the hour, so let's get a parting shot from you.
2: All right, we've talked about the Phillies' disappointing two thousand seventeen season, which by the way still has five and a half weeks left to it. We've talked about Michael Franco's regression, about the very talented Odubel Herrera's too frequent brain cramps, and about the many games that the bullpen has given away. But as I wrote in a piece on our website early Wednesday, And as we discussed with Mike Sielski, the biggest disappointment for me this year has been the starting pitching. Outside of Aaron Nola, as we said, Nola, who struggled his last two starts but looked like an actual ace the previous 10, not one guy otherwise has stepped up and improved from 2016. Vince Velasquez has a mysterious vascular issue that ended his season. But even when healthy, it always seemed to take him 100-plus pitches to get through five innings. Jake Thompson has had a horrible year at Lehigh Valley, and in his handful of big league games this season – He's looked nothing like the highly-touted prospect we thought we'd gotten in that 2015 Cole Hamels deal. After showing lots of promise in the second half of last year, I actually thought Jared Eikhoff might be a 13-15 to 15 game winner this year. Silly me. He's currently 3-7 and seven with an ERA around 4 and a half. Ben Lively and Zach Eflin have failed to take advantage of the chances they've been given this year. And these kids aren't really kids anymore. They're all between 23 and 27, so it is time to show us you can pitch or – for Phil's management to look elsewhere. A chunk of the blame absolutely has to go to pitching coach Bob McClure, who's in his fourth season with the Phil's. If I'm the guy doing his end-of-season exit interview, it would include a pink slip. (laughs) Very
1: good, Mr. Chesco. Well,
2: I have a parting shot
1: as well tonight, and I'm going off the rails somewhere, but here we go. So ESPN is looking out for one of its young broadcasters scheduled to do the William & Mary vs. Virginia game in Charlottesville on September 2nd at 3.30. This young Asian-American broadcaster's name happens to be Robert Lee. ESPN has been criticized nationwide for even making this an issue. Maybe they didn't realize that Florida and Michigan and Temple and Notre Dame are playing at the same time and no one's going to be listening anyway. ESPN is trying to cover itself for itself for its idiotic decision. They said this wasn't about offending anyone. It was about the reasonable possibility that because of his name, he would be subjected to memes and jokes and who knows what else. Really? People are going to make fun of a young broadcaster whose name will be said on the air maybe five times all day and is going to make listeners think of an old Civil War Confederate general who died nearly 147 years ago? Stop it, and stop it now, ESPN. You want to promote yourself as the worldwide leader? You are nothing but a joke.
2: Thank you for bringing that up, Bill. That was one of the most ridiculous things I've seen you posted it on Facebook Tuesday night. Mike Sielski did a couple others. I first thought, now this can't be real. It was real, and it's ridiculous. Crazy. Stop. Crazy absolutely crazy stop it and and
1: you know who could be so thin-skinned and I'm sure it's not this young broadcaster he doesn't care are you kidding it's ESPN you yep. trying to uh to to get in the headline or whatever they were thinking I can't even think of what they could have been thinking
2: ridiculous by the way one other thing our pal Steve Switkowitz promoting an autograph signing this weekend by one of your favorite all-time players legendary Bengals and Eagles linebacker Bill Berge. That's down at the Wildwood Convention Center this Saturday from noon to 1.30. Also on the bill with Bill Burgie, King Kong Bundy. So there you go.
1: And also at that show will be my buddy Chip Brady. We'll be set up at uh-huh. that show down at Wildwood Convention Center. So stop by and see Chip and tell him hello.
2: 35 seconds, so wrap it up, Bill.
1: All right. Well, as you said, we've reached the top of the hour, so let's thank Philly.com's Mike Sielski, Penn State offensive lineman Ryan Bates, Irish Rover Station House, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com. For Jim Chetchesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and will join us next week, August 30th, when Steve Jones from Penn State joins us. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com. Our Facebook page or www.blogtalkradio.com slash Philly Press Radio. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. I hope he has, I
0: hope. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.